The Sanctuary, a community of Jesus people promoting the glory of God in all things to all nations through gospel-centered missional living. Whether it be working with groups in Africa to build orphanages and help rid the continent of AIDS, or feeding the hungry, giving to the oppressed, and helping the hurting who live in our own community, The Sanctuary invites you to be part of a culture of passionate service. You can change your world. Be inspired. Join the movement. If you're a high five kid, you are now dismissed. Um, This is promotion Sunday as well. So if you had a a kid who is in the kindergarten class, that child should be in here and now moving to high five. Um, And and if you're a first time high five parent, uh, let me tell you this. They are going to have a blast back there. Um, they're going to play some games, they're going to hear about Jesus, and they're going to walk away encouraged and hopefully grown to look a little bit more like Jesus. Um, parents, you can pick your kids up after the service. Literally, they are right through that door there. Um, and so uh, I'm excited they get to go back. In fact, my son is realizing his lifelong dream. He's been talking about being a high-five kid since, you know, he could talk. Um, so he's excited to be back there. Um, Man, it's good to be with everybody this morning. Um, Pastor Joe is out of town getting some time with his family. So if you would please uh, lift him up in prayer and ask the Lord to just fill his soul with good things, being around his family, um, and that he would come back rested, revitalized, energized. Um, But we we are glad you're here with us this morning. If you're a visitor with us, let me first of all say thank you for coming to the sanctuary. Um, We are honored to have you here, and our prayer for you this morning is that you would encounter the living God, um, and that you would walk away from here more encouraged to follow him and love him. If you don't know Jesus and you're kind of, maybe somebody dragged you to church or you're just kind of checking out this church thing, uh, my prayer is that God would open your eyes to see who he truly is and that you would respond to that. And and what I mean when I say respond to that, that you would accept him into your heart, that that he would be able to invade uh, every ounce of who you are, transforming you uh, and making you a totally new person. But thank you for being here. Uh, If you are a visitor, we've got visitor cards in the the seat backs in front of you. Uh, Fill one of those out. We have a gift for you today if you didn't already get that and we want to follow up with you. Let us know how we can pray for you, things like that. Um, Today, uh, we are continuing in our summer soundtrack in the Psalms. And uh, I I love this whole idea of a soundtrack. First of all, you can ask my wife, I always have music playing, always. Always. Um, if I'm working out in the yard, I've got my earbuds in. If I'm driving in the car, I've got the radio cranked up. If I'm sitting at my desk, I have uh, my Spotify fired up, and I'm always listening to music. Um, I think part of the thing that I love about music is that it has this ability to remind me about certain situations, certain people, uh, certain things. Uh, and I was thinking as we were in worship, we, we sang the name, uh, the song, Oh, Praise the Name. Uh, And I remember several months ago, uh, so here's another example. I always have music playing. I'm bathing the boys, and I have my phone up on the the countertop, and I've got music playing, and that song comes on. And and I remember being so moved in that moment. I mean, I'm washing a a four-year-old's hair, and and all of a sudden tears start pouring out of my eyes because of the power of these words uh, that are just coming through this little speaker in my phone. Um, And and, uh, Jude looks up at me, and he goes, Daddy, what's wrong? And I'm like... I'm just, Jesus is so awesome, dude. <laughs> it was so funny. And I remember sitting there, I'm like, I'm washing a four-year-old's hair. And this is one of the most worshipful moments um, ever. Uh, I, I, I love music and I love what it can do. I love worship music and how it can move me into the presence of God. Um, 
it, it has this ability to capture kind of the, the essence of people as well. Maybe you know what I'm talking about where uh, you hear that song and it carries you back to a particular moment or to a, a particular person that it reminds you of. And I've actually got a few examples. Let's see if we can make this work here. Uh, a few examples of uh, some songs and how they remind me of certain people. So uh, first group, this is my refugees, right? Uh, when I was on staff here, this was, uh, these are my people. Um, yeah, it's awesome. There's my man, Adrian, wearing some Christmas boxers and the ladies playing that game where you stick the things in your mouth. So when I hear this song, this is what I think about, uh, I think about refugees. Right? It's like so fun, exciting. I think the thing that uh, reminds me of the refugees is this one. The chorus is, this is going to be the best day of my life. The thing that cracks me up when I'm talking to the refugees, um, I'll ask them how things are going, and, or maybe they went and did something. I was like, how was it? Um, and, and they'll say, literally, it was the best thing ever. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I've called Jared Hernandez, and I'm like, dude, how was the, how was the trip to Mexico? Dude, best trip of my life. Awesome. Awesome. That's cool. Uh, so yeah, so when I hear that song, I think about the refugees and just this zeal for life and that this is, this is the best day of their life and they're going to make the most of it. Um, actually, before you, oh, there you go. So here we go. You ready? This thing is present. Right? Appropriate. See, I cannot hear this song without thinking of that man's face. Now, but there have been times, uh, you know, when, he'll, when I was on staff here, he'd be like, Matt, can you come see me in my office? And then I'd, I'd go in and I'd, uh, he'd say, yeah, can you close the door? And then here's what would go through my head. <laughs> no, no. Uh, but yeah, that's, uh, that's something that reminds me of Joe. Um, here, here's another one. Um, so this is a song. So those are my boys. And that is our very own Beth Joplin covered in mud, uh, with my boys. This was taken last weekend, I think. Um, so when I, when I think about my boys, here's the, the song that I'm reminded of. <laughs> yeah, right. It's. It's like you see that you hear this song and all I can think about is like clowns running around a car or something like that. That's what I think about when I, uh, when I, uh, uh, hear that song. I have to think about my boys. Um, all right, last one. So my beautiful bride, Cammy, most of you know her, you love her. She's awesome. So when I think of Cammy, some of the songs I think about, oh, wait, hang on. Sorry. Sorry. Wrong button. All right, how about there? Here we go. And now you're my whole life. Right? And now you're my whole It's another one. I hear it, and I just, I'll be driving. I hear this song, and I'm driving, I'm singing, I'm crying. Pull up to a stoplight, people are looking at me, I'm like, I love my wife. You know, it is, uh, it's crazy how there are these songs that can remind us of somebody. 
Um, these songs that can transport us back into a moment with that person. Uh, it can transport us back to a moment happy. It can transport us back to a moment that's sad. Um, and it can be so powerful that if you close your eyes, you can almost be there with that person or in that moment. It's part of the reason I love music. Today we're in Psalm 105. <clears throat> and this is uh, a psalm of praise. Um, and it is very much a song about who God is, what God has done. Um, and it provides this unbelievably powerful exhortation to sing praises to our God. We don't really know who the author is, per se, of Psalm 105. It's probably more of an editor that pulled uh, several things together. We do know that uh, a significant portion of these words were penned by King David, recorded in First Chronicles as a song of thanks to God. Um, but, but King David's words and others were pulled together into this psalm, um, and, and it's meant to transport readers to these moments in time where the Lord uh, proved himself to be Lord over all, and that he was supreme, that he was sovereign, that he is God. It, it's meant to evoke these feelings of gratitude, these feelings of praise, these, these feelings of, of kind of glorifying the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Um, it's also meant to give us confidence um, that if he was able to do all this to des- described in this psalm, that we can face today, we can face tomorrow, we can face the rest of our lives with confidence, knowing that he's got it, that nothing is going to throw him off that nothing is going to derail him. And so what I want to do, I want to read through this psalm. It is, it is a little bit lengthy, and I want to try something. If you're comfortable with this, um, if you want to close your eyes and visualize some of these things. For me, when I, when I hear a song, I can close my eyes again, put myself there. When I hear scripture, when I'm hearing these, these stories about God, I can close my eyes and kind of visualize what's going on, almost like a movie reel uh, in my head. It helps me to engage with the story a little bit better. I get this may backfire on me because it is a lengthy psalm, um, and no doubt there are going to be some among us that are going to need the extra nudge to help us open our eyes. Um, So if that's you, maybe you should just follow along on the screen or in your Bible. So I'm going to read, we'll pray, and then we'll jump into our time. Psalm 105. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him, sing praises to him, tell of all of his wonderful works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments he uttered. O offspring of Abraham, his servant, children of Jacob, his chosen ones. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers his covenant forever, the word that he commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant that he made with Abraham, his sworn promise to Isaac, which he confirmed to Jacob as a statute to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying to you, I will give the land of Canaan as your portion for an inheritance. When they were few in number of little account and sojourners in it, wandering from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another people, he allowed no one to oppress them. He rebuked kings on their account, saying, touch not my anointed ones. Do my prophets no harm. When he summoned a famine on the land and broke all supply of bread, he had sent a man ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. His feet were hurt with fetters. His neck was put in a collar of iron. 
until what he had said came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. The king sent and released him. The ruler of the people set him free. He made him lord of his house and ruler of all his possessions to bind his princes at his pleasure and to teach his elders wisdom. Then Israel came to Egypt. Jacob sojourned in the land of Ham. And the Lord made his people very fruitful and made them stronger than their foes. He turned their hearts to hate his people, to deal craftily with his servants. He sent Moses, his servant, and Aaron, whom he had chosen. They performed his signs among them and miracles in the land of Ham. He sent darkness and made the land dark. They did not rebel against his words. He turned the waters into blood and caused their fish to die. Their land swarmed with frogs, even in the chambers of their kings. He spoke, and there came swarms of flies and gnats throughout their country. He gave them hail for rain and fiery lightning bolts through their, through their land. He struck down their vines and fig trees and shattered the trees of their country. He spoke, and the locusts came, young locusts without number, which devoured all the vegetation in their land and ate up the fruit of their ground. He struck down all the firstborn in their land, the firstfruits of all their strength. Then he brought out Israel with silver and gold, and there was none among his tribes who stumbled. Egypt was glad when they departed, for dread of them had fallen upon it. He spread a cloud for a covering and fire to give light by night. They asked, and he brought quail and gave them bread from heaven in abundance. He opened the rock, and water gushed out. It flowed through the desert like a river. For he remembered his holy promise and Abraham his servant. So he brought his people out with joy, his chosen ones with singing. And he gave them the lands of the nations, and they took possession of the fruit of the people's toil, that they might keep his statutes and observe his laws. Praise the Lord. So I want to take a moment and I want to pray. I want to ask the Lord to meet with us. Uh, and, and first, what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you to pray for yourselves. Pray that the Lord would speak to your heart, that you would hear him clearly, that as we open his word, um, that your mind would be clear to be able to perceive what he's saying, that you would hear it, that you would receive it in your heart, um, and that you would walk out of here changed. So take a moment and do that. Father, I pray that you would be with us tangibly, Lord, that we would know that you're with us. Lord, that as we open your word, as we read your word, that it would enter our hearts, that it would transform us, that it would move us into action, praise, and honor of you. Lord, I pray that if there's anything that would hinder us from encountering you today, would you take that out of the way for us and help us to encounter you fully. Help us to walk out of here more passionate about your name. And now would you take a moment, would you pray for me? Would you ask the Lord to speak through me? That I would be able to convey his message clearly? And that I would step out of the way so that you might see Jesus. Father, I thank you for the honor of getting to open your word 
and talk about it, Lord. It's one of my favorite things to do. But Lord, I pray that you would be with me. I pray that you would speak through me, that you would hold me together and sustain me throughout this time. Lord, that if anything would come from my mouth that's not of you, that you'd strike it from my lips, that it would blow away like chaff in the wind, and that you would be clearly seen this morning. God, we love you, we praise you, we honor your name. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So as we begin our time in this psalm, I'm going to kind of break it into three different sections, uh, if you will. Um, that in the first five verses, verses one through five, it's kind of this beginning with praise. Um, that that's where we start in this psalm. And in verses six through 44, the, the vast majority of this psalm is kind of our basis for that praise, right? The reasons of why we can praise. And then the last part is the result of praise. What is the result of me giving honor, giving praise, giving glory to the Lord? That'll be verse 45. So we're going to walk through uh, each of these and, and spend some time drawing out the implications that it would have for our own life. So starting with the beginning, uh, uh, beginning with praise, um, verses one through five, again, opens this psalm very powerfully and very purposefully. In fact, if you look at the first five verses, there are 10 commands for the Christ follower. Two commands per verse, really, right? So here they are. As you walk through it, the first command is give thanks. That is what a Christ follower is to do. Give thanks. Second one, call upon his name. The third one, tell others about what he has done. Four, sing praise. Five, tell others about what he has done. I think it's important if you repeat stuff. Hugely important. Six, glory or boast in his name. Seven, rejoice in him. Eight, seek him and his strength. Nine, seek his presence forever. Ten, remember what he has done. So the very first point that I want to make here is that our initial posture towards the Lord needs to be one of praise, needs to be one of us being humbled before him. Uh, and, and this is without condition. Did you notice it didn't come and, and say, praise him because it just says, praise him. It just says, give him thanks. It doesn't say, give him thanks. If I feel like it, give him thanks. Uh, when things go the way I want them to go, or when things are going really, really well for me, that those are the moments when I give thanks. No, this is unqualified. It starts out with praise, sing praise, tell other people about God, lift him up, seek his glory, boast in his name. See, I I think for most of us, I'm, I'm willing to bet most of us in this room, I know for me anyways, my beginning of encountering God usually starts with a complaint. I usually come to the Lord and I'm giving him my lists of how he can change my current situation to make things better. And then I will praise him. And if you doubt me, I would challenge you to take a look at your prayer life. What does it look like and how does it begin? Does it typically start off with this? Oh my gosh, Lord, you're so huge. I'm going to boast in your name. You are so amazing. You are so holy. You are so worthy. Or is it? God, I need my kid to behave. Or Lord, that boss is just irritating me and I don't know how much more I can take it. 
or if that neighbor runs over my part of the grass with his car as he's backing his car out one more time, how does your prayer life go? How does it start? Is it, Lord, if you will just change this or if you will just fix that, and until you do that, I'm going to sit here in a pit of my own pity. I'm going to bemoan the situation until you change it, and then I can sing praise. We come to the Lord with these well-organized lists of how he can fix things, and we miss something huge. I'm not trying to condemn you for this because, again, I think this is kind of our natural tendency. We, We come with our lists of complaints, and we need to bring our requests to the Lord, right? But we shouldn't start there. Listen, God is the creator of the universe. He opens his mouth, and galaxies are born. He, he speaks things into existence. Right now, he is literally holding it all together. He is the one who has the power of life and death. He is the one who shatters kingdoms without lifting a finger. And the first thing we're going to bring to him is our complaints. God, help us. We come to him as as though he's like a genie there to fulfill our every whim and desire. There is no one like him. There has never been and there never will be. He is unparalleled in power, in beauty, in glory, in majesty, in wisdom, in strength, and justice. And I could go for the rest of this time. Because he is unparalleled. Yet we are like spoiled children so often with our hands out. Gimme, 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 gimme. See, we live in a, a culture and a time where things, we demand things to be done in our way, in our time, and to our standards. And once they're done that way, then we give glory. Then we give praise. Then we give honor, if we give it at all. And then we're pretty stingy with it, right? Great job, but let me tell you the 15 different things that you could have done better. That's not how we need to uh, approach the Lord. And Psalm 105, from the outset, flips this whole thing on its head. We don't come to the Lord with our lists. We come to the Lord, man, like, On our face, do you understand who this God is that we are approaching? He is worth. We just got done singing this. He's worthy. You know what that means? That means that he deserves every ounce of praise that we could muster up, plus a billion times more. That that is that is his right, and that is what we need to come and we need to give to him. So, so Psalm one hundred five flips this on its on its head in the first five verses. I want to take a quick side note here um, and chase a tangent just for a second. I want to talk about the missional heart of God. I don't know if you you caught that um, in in the first five verses. He says, make known his deeds among the peoples or the nations. Right? This This is Old Testament stuff. And he's still saying, talk about me to the nations. Take my word to the people. 
Take my word to the, to the Gentiles and those that are, that are out there. See, the Lord is not just interested in praise coming from his chosen people like Israel or, or Western Christians. He's not, not interested in one people group singing his praise. God is passionate about his praise coming from every nation, every tribe, every tongue. And that has always been his heart. Every Christian... Every Christian, if you are a follower of Christ in this room, you need to be a global Christian. And what do I mean by that? That you either need to go, you need to send, you need to support, and or you need to pray. We cannot get so isolated in our little Christian bubble that we are never going. I don't mean you need to get on a plane and fly to Uzbekistan or something right now, maybe. But you need to have this mindset. You need to realize that right now in the 1040 window, there are literally billions of people who don't know Jesus and are going to perish apart from him. God is passionate about these people. It breaks my heart to think about a, a little Muslim kid growing up and he is born into this false religion with a false God. And if he doesn't hear the name of Christ, he will perish. Every Christian needs to be a global Christian. John Piper talks about missions and he says, missions exist because worship doesn't. God's purpose in this world is for every person, every people group, that, that his glory would be exalted among them. That his worship would, would captivate their hearts. See, our praise, and I think this is where it connects back here with the, the praise deal. Our praise is meant to be given to the Lord publicly. Publicly, so that others would be drawn into the praise of God. It's another thing that, that rages against our culture. We're so private. We have everything kind of closed off to ourselves. Oh, it's just me and Jesus. I'm just going to talk to him, and maybe I'll, I'll get my hands here at church. I'm not going to go up here because that's just that's too much. It doesn't ever carry outside this room. See, the people of God need to be so consumed with the glory of God that we are driven to tell others about this huge, amazing, glorious God. He is worthy of praise. So the Lord's worthy of praise regardless of whether or not we ever get an explanation as well, right? Um, that, that he could come to us and simply say, because I'm God, just, just worship. Glory, give me praise, give me honor. He does not owe us any kind of explanation. He can demand that from us. But it's interesting, this psalm goes into this beautiful retelling of all these incredible works of the Lord spanning from Abraham all the way to the inheritance of the promised land. And it kind of gives us that basis for praise. Remember the second point, the basis for praise. Uh, th th it provides us with this snapshot of, of this beautiful, amazing, powerful God um, and, and creates this, this foundation. He says, praise, and here's why. I, I, I love this about God. Again, because he could demand that we praise, but he, he says, praise, now here's why. I also love that he didn't start that ahead of time, right? Like presenting his resume, almost like a, you know, you're at a, an interview where he's coming and he says, okay, well, here's, here's my resume. I want you to know what I've done. You know, there's a, a C, I parted it. 
Uh, there was a people group. I sustained them. You know, bread falling from heaven. Crazy stuff. Yeah. Okay, now, would, would you like to praise me? See, I love that he comes and he's like, praise. Remember why you should be pray, praising. This is the basis for this praise. And look how, look how Psalm 105 accomplishes this. Begins in verses 7 through 11. With Abraham and the, covenant, and the covenant that he had established with him. It's a promise that God would be his God, that he would establish Abraham into a great nation, and that these people would be his chosen people, that he would give them the promised land, that he would be faithful to them with his everlasting covenant. Talks about a thousand generations. It's everlasting, right? Um, then in verse 12 to 15, the Lord is shown as sustaining his people, even though they were, quote, few in number and of little account. They were protected from oppression. They were protected from abuse. They were protected from harm. And he even demanded that kings leave them be. They kind of had this almost free reign because of the, the, the past that the Lord had, the shield that he had put around them. And then there's verses 16 to 22, the story of Joseph. Perhaps you know this, but Joseph uh, is sold into slavery by his brothers, right? Um, He's carried away in chains. Uh, He's bound up. He's locked away in a dirty prison cell, accused of things he didn't do. Uh, Why? Remember, God put him there. But why? So that Joseph could be the conduit of material relief when famine struck the land so that God's people would be provided for in a time of great and deep need. Verses 23 through 25, the captivity. Israel grows strong in number. (coughs) They're no longer a little nation, but rather they're a huge force. In fact, it talks to them about being stronger than those around them. Yet, the Lord uses Egypt to take them into captivity, using the people of Israel as slave labor to build their empire. Again, that's a hard moment here for for the people of God. Verses 26 through 36, the plagues are here. It's described as miracles and signs. So Moses and Aaron are are sent, after the people have been in captivity for quite some time, they're, they're sent to demand the release of God's people. And the ensuing plagues... kind of take place, culminating with the death of every firstborn in the land. Uh, And and it resulted in Pharaoh finally casting him out. It's not recounted here, but remember he turned them loose. They take off running um, to get out of town, uh, and then they become trapped by the Red Sea. Pharaoh's pursuing them. God does this amazing, miraculous work, uh, carries them safely through on dry land. And then they begin to wander, verses uh, 37 to 42, the provision in the desert. Um, they, had, they had left Egypt with great riches. Remember, they, they walked away. God had just kind of given them all this stuff. Yet they were wandering through the desert for 40 years. Well, if you know this, but there's not much stuff in the desert. Not going to sustain a huge nation of people just in the desert. But what an opportunity for God to shine. In that time, the Lord remained with them. He led them. Get this. He led them pretty much in circles in the desert so that they could come to know him more, so that the the faithless generation would pass away. And the whole time, he's raining down bread from heaven. They complain about the bread from heaven. They ask for quail. He brings them quail. Go read it. It's actually kind of funny so much that it's like coming out of their noses. (laughs) 
And they're tired of it. So it's, again, it's us. God, do this. And then he does it. And it's like, oh, that's enough. That's enough. I don't, I don't, don't want any more. Just stop it. Um, but he provides them with all of this. And then, and then they're thirsty. And he makes water start gushing out of a dusty rock. So much so that it says that it was like a river flowing through the desert. I can't imagine what I would want more <clears throat> in the middle of a desert than a river to form out of a rock. This is our God. Verses 43 through 44, <clears throat> he finally brings the people to the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. And it says this, and this is huge. They were brought out of the desert with joy and with singing. As they realize they see the covenant promise fulfilled and they have gone through the ringer, but they come out with joy. They come out with singing. They come out with praise. So what is the result of praise? What is the end result of all this praise? The incredible works of what God has done that are described here. Look at verse 45. It says, so they came out with praise. They had all of the possessions of the people's toil that they might keep his statutes and observe his laws. Praise the Lord. Here's the deal. True praise, authentic, genuine praise in the hearts of his people will always produce something in their lives. Always. True praise. Here's what it produces. Obedience. Simple obedience. That when we hear God speak, when we, when we open his word and we hear our Father worshiping into our hearts, that we would obey. So uh, we got a little phrase for our boys. <clears throat> when we ask them to do something and uh, they're not obeying, <laughs> we'll get down there and be like, all right, buddy, come here. How are we supposed to obey? And here's what they do. We're supposed to obey the first time, all the time, with a happy heart. <laughs> right? And you know, as a parent, you're standing there with a straight face. You're like, absolutely, you are. Inside, you're just like, I need this, really. Right? The Lord's looking at me. See, he's in my face. And he's going, buddy, hey, how are you supposed to obey? And I need to respond to him. First time, all the time, with a happy heart. See that as we look at this psalm, as we look at 105, the, the thing that I really gathered from this is that as a whole, this is a, this is a testimony of God's people. This is the story of God's people and, and God's story in them. They sing praises of the Lord, and as they do, they proclaim these incredible works that the Lord has done throughout their history, good or bad. Remember, we didn't skip over the bad parts. We didn't just simply try and make God look good because we left out the part about him sending somebody into slavery or we left them into, uh, the part out about him taking an entire nation and giving them over into to servitude. Uh, much of their story is painful. And in fact, if, if you look at much of Israel's past, there is ample reason in a human realm uh, that we could find for bitterness and resentment, yet there's a command of praise. That the, the, the praise response needs to be outside of our circumstances. 
that the Lord uses even those difficult moments in our lives to draw us closer to him. He uses every moment in our lives to help draw us closer to him. Now, the question is, what are we doing with those moments? And how are we giving him praise? When times are good, how do we praise him? When times are bad, how do we praise him? It's through that story of both triumph and pain that God's glory is supposed to be proclaimed. You see, God God is ultimately after our hearts and not our attempts to be good. That's why I think it's interesting that this is the last verse um, that caps off this psalm. See, he, he's moving in every aspect of our lives, whether we acknowledge it or know it or not. Our hearts should sing his praise regardless of what's going on around us. But, but um, the, the thing that we've got to remember is that all of this, all of the praise that we give is ultimately directed to the, the story of God playing out in our life, that we would reflect his glory, that we would be consumed with praise, and ultimately that we would walk in obedience. Because one of the most powerful testimonies about who God is, is, is that a person would walk in obedience to him, no matter what the circumstance is in their life. See, when we have true adoration for somebody, the result is that we will live in such a way that we will not hurt that person or try not to hurt that person or break relationship with that person. It's also true that this adoration will continue to grow throughout our lives. And I get not perfectly, right? There's no perfect Christian. We're going to fall. We're going to fail. We're going to falter at times. But, but this praise that we're supposed to be cultivating like a garden in our soul is not, not a one-time thing or not a seasonal thing. This is, this is like for the rest of our lives, that we would develop this passion for praise and, and talking about Jesus, that, that we wouldn't miss what God's doing in our lives. See, the, the Lord, he desires this obedience that, that stems from adoration and praise. When we obey out of duty or when we obey out of obligation or religion uh, that's devoid of a deep praise and adoration for God, this, I, don't, I don't think that this really brings him honor I think that God's prize is our heart. And I don't mean to to be all weird about that, like we're, you know, I don't know, like we can add anything to God. But I, I I think as a father, like I think about my boys, and I think one of the, the biggest prizes I could have is their full love, dedication, devotion to me. That that would just bring me so much joy. Right? Like if they're just obeying because they're supposed to obey, doesn't that like break something in me maybe? See, God, God's prize is our heart. And the result when he has our heart, when he has our, our praise, is a gospel-driven heart transformation and not behavior modification. That we are different in the essence of our being. Because the God of all creation, get this, Christian, is dwelling in you. (laughs) Let our hearts be captivated by him and obedience will follow. And this, I believe, is why some people, perhaps in this room, have a completely unfulfilling walk with Jesus. 
you view him nothing more as a taskmaster and yourself as his dancing bear. You're working as hard as you can, trying to be good, trying to make it, trying to get straight A's and present the report card or whatever it is um, so that he will truly be pleased with you. But none of it is rooted in a deep love and a deep praise for him. It's rooted somewhere else. Perhaps out of fear, pressure to appear good to your Christian friends. Yeah, look how awesome I am. But it's exhausting. And you know this. You know this because you've been doing it for years and you're tired. It is impossible to keep this up throughout your entire life. You're going to come to resent the Lord because you think that that's what he's demanded of you. And you're going to miss the relationship with him. And it's not going to stem from praise. Yes, he wants obedience, but he knows that that's going to come as you mature in him. Listen, I've got a four-year-old, a six-year-old, a four-year-old, and a two-year-old. I understand that obedience for them is going to be a process. God looks at us and he goes, we're, we're like a bunch of toddlers running around, right? We're doing dumb stuff. And he looks at us and he goes, all right, buddy, how do we obey? We're getting there. But he gives us his Holy Spirit so that we can do this, that we can experience that true gospel transformation. We will never change our behavior and our, our, our heart to follow him. That has to be a work of God. Has to be. There's no other way around it. Jeremiah talks about the heart. He says the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things, right? That's why it cracks me up when I hear young people say, I'm just going to follow my heart. And I'm like, no, don't, don't do that. No, no, that thing's wicked. Don't do that. <laughs> don't follow that. It's going to lie to you. But that's what everybody tells me, follow my heart. Okay? See, the only way that heart's going to be changed is by the Spirit of God. So as we kind of close up, I want to talk about your story, God's story. I want to ask you, do you identify with Israel in this psalm? Is this song of praise in your personal playlist? Is your, mar- is your life marked by praise for our God who is worthy of infinitely more than we could ever muster up? Would other people describe you as a person who has a deep river of praise flowing through their soul? And do you use your life story to give reason for that praise, including the hard parts, including the hard parts, those parts that you don't want to touch? Has that praise resulted in a stunning display of obedience, even when it's going to cost you greatly? Has it resulted in obedience that's unexplainable? That it's impossible except for the Spirit of God moving in us and through us? Do you understand Your story is God's story. He owns it. It belongs to him. And he has been authoring your story from before the foundations of the world. And it's playing out right now. We should use that story to point it all back to him. And perhaps you've seen great victories in your life, your salvation, overcoming sin and temptation, being freed from shame, having people in your life that you help you see God more clearly, um, allowing 
God allowing you to glimpse these mountaintop experiences where you see the manifest presence of God, just these huge moments. Perhaps those, those have been some of your victories, but perhaps your story has included deep and, and, and sharp pain as well. A cancer diagnosis, rejection, mistakes, loneliness, divorce, loss of a loved one, abandonment, abuse, mental anguish. But what are all these things producing in us, good or bad? What are, what are these things producing in us? Have they driven us closer to the Lord where we can proclaim him? Or have they produced in us a self-sufficiency in the good things or this uh, bitterness in the pain? So the Lord's plan is that it would all deepen our walk with him. Um, and it's not a very popular position because, remember, there's difficult things that we talked about, that God would uh, put somebody in chains, that, that he would uh, in, in enslave an entire group of his chosen people, right? We, we wrestle with this, but every one of these moments of affliction is carefully uh, brought about so that God's glory and God's power over that affliction can be clearly seen. And the same is true for us. The pain that we endure is the opportunity for us to see the Lord lifted up above that pain and that we would give him praise in the midst of that pain. You see, the enemy would love nothing more than for you to reject the Lord in the middle of your pain. Right? We saw that in the, in, in the story of Job. He comes and he was like, hey, Job, yeah, he'll, he'll reject you if you curse him. That's what the enemy wants us to do, is reject the Lord in this. We are granted the opportunity to praise the Lord, tell the story of God in our life through the good and the bad, and it helps to awaken the praise of others in their hearts. Recently, I spent some time with a, a person who had lost their spouse in a very sudden, very tragic way, um, and we were talking about the brutality of losing a loved one so suddenly. And as we shared our common stories of, of pain, what we both saw clearly in the middle of our conversation <clears throat> was... 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. If you haven't read that, write it down, read it. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. Um, and it was a ministry of comfort moving through our conversation. I remember thinking that moment, just how... I just remember thinking how strange it was that... I had to trudge through this deep pain. This person had to trudge through this deep pain. But I was thankful in that moment. I was thankful that the Lord used that pain to, to come along some, alongside somebody else in the midst of their pain. Um, that they had gone through something very similar and that God took those moments and, I don't know, there was just this weird Holy Spirit moment. Um, it's I think it's in moments like these that the Lord has done these works of redeeming pain, right? Um, that, that he would give it a meaning and a significance. And that it wouldn't be meaningless. I know we, we hear that a lot. It's tragedy, it's meaningless. It's not at all. He takes it, he redeems it, he restores it. And there is joy. This was so strange. You know, it talks in, in Romans 5 about rejoicing in your suffering, and ultimately it's going to produce, you know, something in us that's, that's so valuable. And I'm still wrestling with this. I'm still trying to figure this out. Um, 
how we rejoice in our sufferings. Because obviously I don't think we're called to rejoice and say, oh yeah, I'm suffering. This is so great and awesome. No, I don't think that's what it is. But there was that moment that I'd, I'd gone through this pain and now I'm, I'm looking at the Lord. And I'm saying, Lord, thank you for that. So that I could be equipped for this. And it's not rejoicing in my pain. It's rejoicing in the fact that God is big enough to take my pain and to help encourage somebody along the path of their own pain. But here's the deal. If I never open up, if I never share that, if I never give it away, then the ministry stops and our pain isn't redeemed in the way that God wants it to be redeemed. We need to be in community. We need to be in fellowship. Here's the question. Who needs to hear your story? Perhaps even your story of pain, perhaps even your story of failure so that they might encounter the living God in their own pain, in their own failure, and that they would be, be able to rejoice. And how is this ever going to happen if we keep our pain so private? You are not unique in your experience. You're not. What's your pain? What's your struggle? What's your victory? There's somebody else in this room who shares that common story. I get there's going to be little differences there. Are you going to push play on your personal playlist so that others can see the praise of God welling up in you despite your circumstances? Regardless of the joys, regardless of the sorrows, you will praise God. The Lord has authored this story in your life, and it's not just for you. So share it. Psalm 105, praise the Lord with everything in your being. Leverage your story for the gospel. Pray for the Lord to work and give, as you give yourself away and live a life of simple obedience. And there are so many conduits to do that in this church. One of the best ones is life group. Get in there and share your story. Open yourself up and let people minister to your soul. Let the Lord minister your soul through those people. Be a part, be a part of this community. And watch what God does. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for your story of praise, for authoring praise in my heart and my soul. And let me walk with you faithfully as you do that. God, in those difficult moments, and those hard moments, I pray that my uh, praise would not falter, that my praise would not fail. God, I do think about Peter. Uh, when Jesus was talking to him before he went to the cross and he said, Peter, the, the Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. Lord, I pray that I would have a testimony like that and that I would share it, that I would open myself up, that I would give myself away for your glory, for my good, and for the good of those around me. And I pray that this church would be marked by that. Or that we would share our lives with others freely, openly, in grace. We love you and praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Wesley.